Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom is warning there could be statewide mandatory water restrictions if Californians don't start conserving more water. That as the drought worsens. In Sacramento, CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. In the spring, Newsom called on local water providers to enforce their own conservation plans. But thanks to the driest spring on record, water use increased in March over the previous year. The governor is ramping up pressure to conserve by 15 percent. Newsom convened large water suppliers and said if they don't cut water use, statewide restrictions could come later this summer. According to his office, the group will meet again in two months for a status update. The state water board is considering a rule to ban watering for decorative grass on commercial land. It would still allow watering for functional turf for parks and golf courses. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. We're going to stay on drought and water conservation. Starting in June, 6 million Southern Californians will face new water restrictions. For many people, that'll mean watering their yards twice or even just once a week per regulations. Some residents are ready, others not so much. From KCRW in Santa Monica, reporter Kaylee Wells has this tale of two yards. Michael Lawson's dark green manicured oasis in the middle of the San Gabriel Valley has azaleas, dahlias, lush green lawn, and a dogwood tree in the back. So that's a very unique and fresh mix for Southern California. Very green and very wet. I am unapologetically a, a water user in this yard. He runs his free zones of sprinklers about 10 minutes every day in the summer. Well, I ran those numbers through a water calculator that the Metropolitan Water District recommends. Looks like his family is using about 50% more water per person than the average, and most of it is going toward the yard. Which means this new outdoor water restriction that'll likely cut his outdoor water use back to once per week is going to be pretty rough on his landscape. Well, that is, if he follows the rules. I grew up saying that you can judge a man by his lawn, so the lawn ain't going. I'm going to go before the lawn is. They're going to they're gonna take me away and this is going to be an empty property before the lawn goes. So he'll keep running his sprinklers every day and he'll pay the fines if they come. Besides, he says, what are they going to do? If I sit here and I'm running my sprinklers, is someone going to come over and cuff me and take me away? Okay, good point. Probably not. Some water districts in Southern California haven't laid out extra consequences for people who don't comply. Others will install a device that restricts water flow to your house after you break the rules a few times. So if consequences like that are looming for some, how is someone like Austin supposed to keep his yard from dying? That is not the question we should be asking, is how do I keep this thing that does not belong here and for which there are not enough resources? That's Master Gardener Roger Gray. He's a certified California naturalist, he's a former middle school science teacher, and if Austin's yard is a work of art, this one is a celebration of nature. There are little flowers on big bushes scattered between patches of mulch, but looking at it wasn't the best part. Sometimes we'd stop to admire a hummingbird or two pollinating the flowers, and then there was the smell. 
smells wow. like mountains, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fragrant pitcher sage is its common name. Everything in here is native to either California or at least somewhere nearby. So they're tolerant of drought. Like Austin, Gray put this landscape in about two years ago. Unlike Austin, he's watered these plants six times. Total. In two years. And you're standing in here, and some of these plants are taller than you are. Yeah. Yeah, and we've had a drought. That's one way to solve excessive outdoor water use, but it's not something Austin will go for. They don't look like what I like and what I go for, so it's a matter of taste, I guess. So what happens if Austin cuts back his water? Well, Gray says the good news is it probably won't be as bad as you'd think. Most people overwater all their plants all the time. Forget about the drought. Water less frequently and more deeply. That's better for the plants. A little sprinkle every day is terrible. Because a lot of the sprinkler mist evaporates anyway, and after a few minutes, the water is coming too fast. So it runs off the top of the soil and into the street without soaking deep enough to reach all the roots. Other residents are experimenting with drip irrigation. It saves a lot of water to bury a hose under the soil so the water seeps directly into the ground. So much so that some water districts make exceptions for systems like those. So far, these water restrictions only apply to water agencies that get most of their water from the state water project, which is mostly stored in Northern California. The cities that pull their water from the Colorado River haven't been targeted yet. So the lush green lawns lining the streets of places like Beverly Hills, Burbank, and Irvine are safe. For now. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, a big change of topic now. A bill that would stop courts in Texas and other states from penalizing abortion providers in California has passed the state assembly. The legislation from Bay Area Assembly member Rebecca Bauer Cahan is in response to a Texas law allowing civil lawsuits to be filed against abortion providers or anyone else who helps a person receive an abortion after a heartbeat has been detected. AB 1666 would prohibit California courts from taking up cases based on out-of-state abortion laws. Abortion rights opponents have argued the bill is unconstitutional because of a clause in the U.S. Constitution that requires each state to give full faith and credit to laws in other states. Democrats in Sacramento have introduced more than a dozen bills this year in support of abortion rights before the Supreme Court rules this summer on a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Meanwhile, in San Diego County, the Board of Supervisors vote on a resolution today that would require that California leaves the right to an abortion up to women. The measure was introduced by Supervisors Nora Vargas and Tara Lawson-Reamer, who spoke with KPBS in San Diego. 
we absolutely can ensure that those rights are protected across the state of California by advancing an amendment to the California state constitution, protecting a woman's right to choice. If it's approved by supervisors, the constitutional amendment would have to be approved by lawmakers in Sacramento before being placed on the statewide ballot. Think Anaheim and probably Disneyland comes to mind. But in recent days, the Orange County city of 350,000 residents has been in the news because of a widening federal corruption investigation there. An investigation centered on the city's $320 million deal to sell the Angels baseball stadium to the owner of the team. Just yesterday, Anaheim's mayor, Harry Sidhu, resigned amid allegations that the city is tightly controlled by a cabal of business and political power brokers. Here to untangle some of this story is LA Times reporter Gabriel San Roman, who's part of a team covering Anaheim's scandals for the paper. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. So let me try to condense this very quickly. Now former mayor of Anaheim, Sidhu, has been in these negotiations with the Angels over a big redevelopment deal for the stadium property that would add a lot more housing and and stores and whatnot. As my understanding is that Sidhu is of concern because of what he's been sharing with the Angels in these negotiations. Could you talk more about that? Absolutely. The mayor, as detailed in the FBI affidavit filing, uh, which caused the stadium sale to come to a halt in Orange County Superior Court last week, he is alleged to have taken appraisal figures from a closed session meeting, which is to be very confidential, and passed those through Tadamant and a political consultant over to the Angels. So in effect, the the Angels had the appraisal numbers for the property value around the stadium before the public in Anaheim did. And that would be a violation of the Brown Act. And other stadium shenanigans that are involved in this uh, investigation include, you know, an intercepted conversation or wiretapped uh, conversation where the former mayor was discussing the possibility of basically having the angels contribute through independent expenditures up to a million dollars to secure his reelection once the angel stadium deal was complete. And so we have that. And then there was also a ruse that was set up by the FBI where Sidhu essentially when presented with the appearance of an Orange County grand jury investigation you know, that's where we get the allegations of witness tampering and, and uh, obstruction of justice. So there's multiple layers to why this stadium deal under the leadership of Sidhu is now in shambles. And can we take a step back from the mayor without getting too much into the weeds? What's behind these accusations that a cabal essentially runs Anaheim and is running it not for the public interests, but for its own. Could you talk a bit more about that? Absolutely. I've been covering Anaheim City Hall for about a decade now, pretty diligently. And with former Anaheim Mayor Harry Sidhu being elected into office in, in 2018, it was really readily apparent that he was a very handled mayor in the sense that the chamber you know, up on the seventh floor of City Hall, there was always chatter about the chamber 
president Todd Ament being there, um, the political consultant mentioned in the you know in the court documents, you know definitely is alleged to have scripted you know the mayor's comments on critical issues at council meetings, and so that's you know atypical in Anaheim politics, and that the mayor's office is so tightly controlled by outside interest. Of course, you have you know a chief of staff, and you are your own man as a politician, but everything to do seemed to do from the Angel Stadium deal uh, to even just a really random conversation about, you know, uh, Disneyland and, and, and a bond measure in a pandemic, you know, the fingerprints of this cabal were all over it. And the FBI agent suspects, and now the residents and the greater public suspects that this corruption scandal is going to continue in different directions beyond the stadium sale and beyond, you know, the effort to have retail cannabis uh, legalized in the city, which is actually the ironic, you know, starting point for this whole thing, because, uh, you know, Melahat Rafi was a cooperating witness in the investigation. And, you know, she wanted to go through the chamber to get retail cannabis legalized, allegedly, in the, in the uh, court filings. Um, and, you know, the chamber was the organization to get that done so that a law could be passed by the city council with Mayor Sidhu leading it. All right. That is Los Angeles Times reporter Gabriel San Roman. You can read his reporting about what's happening in Anaheim at the L.A. Times website. Uh, he's covering the story with his colleagues there. Gabriel, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you so much for having me. A survivor of the 2017 North Bay wildfires is asking a federal bankruptcy judge to order managers of a fund for wildfire victims to account for millions of dollars that have been spent over the last two years. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. The Wildfire Victim Trust was set up two years ago as part of PG&E's exit from bankruptcy. The trust is supposed to pay for $13.5 billion in claims arising mostly from wildfires the utility caused from 2015 through 2018. But survivor payments have been slow to arrive, with $1.7 billion awarded through the end of last year. During the same period, the trust spent $132 million without itemizing its costs. William Abrams, who lost his home in the 2017 North Bay fires and has been involved in several proceedings related to PG&E and its wildfire safety record, wants to change that. Yesterday, he filed a request asking the federal bankruptcy court in San Francisco to direct the trust to answer questions about how it has spent that money. If the court approves, the trust could be required to begin providing detailed answers before the end of June. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, May 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good morning and day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. Stanfordbloodcenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.